Cloud. All right, it is block 814.071. Current exchange rate is 34,119 US dollars per Bitcoin. And this is a conversation between uh, Caribou and Sydney. So here we go. Let's do it. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more about you actually before we start. So we can kind of go tic-tac-toe. I'll ask you a question. You ask me a question. I think sure. Uh, sure. this is the first time we're talking. Um, one-on-one. -on -one. So I know that you come from a medical background and that you're writing a book about health and Bitcoin. So I'd love to hear like, how did you get into Bitcoin and how did you come to uh, be on the path that you're on today? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, my involvement with Bitcoin to me um, really starts a while ago when I was probably in high school, right? I mean, I was the kind of kid that got really interested in understanding, um, you know, what was happening in the, you know, the financial crisis of 2008. I started reading all kinds of economics books and that path eventually led me to, um, you know, reading all the Austrian, Austrian economic literature. And, you know, I became fully immersed in that, in that sort of, um, you know, field of, of um, economics. And so when I think of, Bitcoin and all the things that our Bitcoin is doing, I really come at it from an Austrian economic point of view, or at least initially. And, um, you know, I heard about Bitcoin back then. I, you know, at first I kind of shrugged it off. I was like, oh, cool. You know, it's cool that some nerd on the internet is trying to solve this money problem. Um, but, you know, when I heard internet money, I heard, you know, you know, everything on the internet at that time could be copy and paste. And so I'm like, well, money has to be scarce for it to work. So this wouldn't work, you know, and Obviously, if I put five minutes into Googling it myself at that time, I probably would have, you know, come out a very different path than I have now. But, you know, that's I don't know about five minutes. Is. It was the Wild West back then in terms of what you would <laughs> learn about it. But I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. true, <laughs> true, true. And so uh, but the thing was, you know, I. Um, at that time, my passion for economics and the, the system of money um, really didn't seem to be a viable avenue for me from a career education point of view. I didn't really want to go to school just to study economics, to become an economics professor or work in finance or something like that, you know? And so uh, I had another passion, of course, which was um, health. And specifically at that time when I was a kid, <clears throat> I really wanted to be a brain surgeon. I just thought the brain and, you know, I was a very, let's say, intellectual child and therefore my mind and my brain was very interesting to me. So I wanted to study the brain. I want to understand how it works and the job. I thought, well, I'll just be a brain surgeon, right? Um, so I went to school to study the body and anatomy and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then the two passions just sort of grow at the same time. I mean, I continue to become very interested. I'm, I continue to be very interested in economics um, as time goes on and Bitcoin becomes more and more. You know, I remember it was around 2017. I started to hear about Bitcoin a lot again. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, I remember that. That's very interesting that people are still talking about it. So then I start to look into it more. Then I actually look into the engineering and go, oh, I, you know, it is scarce on the internet. You know, that's very cool. And and all those kind of um, check marks are, are, are clicking in my brain. And, uh, but then I'm also studying the body. And then I eventually get a master's in biomedical engineering where I um, write a paper about, um, uh, the health benefits of mindfulness meditation as it relates to the alleviation of anxiety and depression. And this, um, 
it had a big impact on me. I thought it was a very interesting thing. Something that at first I thought was sort of a, let's say a woo-woo type subject seemed to have a lot of, you know, academic um, attention and evidence. And that sort of took me down a path of um, writing and reading a lot about the research about holistic practices, particularly meditation, yoga, as they relate to uh, not only mental health, but physical health and how those things are kind of related. Um, so the mind body relationship. And so, you know, these both started to coincide until I eventually developed, let's say a general theory about the nature of the mind, consciousness, health, and how I think the computer is a sort of, um, how it plays a role in the history that human beings have had with the relationship of our minds. Um, and so it really just like my two seemingly separate passions really collided eventually. And that's where I got to where I am now. Very cool. And I actually read uh, this morning, your article about how Bitcoin and AI freeze our time. And it really resonated with me, the idea that all of this thought processing that we've essentially uh, been forced into in a modern technologically driven society, being able to offshore that through simplification, but also through computers taking over a lot of that allows us to get back into this um, sort of calm minded state, which is actually our default. And I think is actually the only state that aligns with human health. Um, I so I find that very interesting. And even if you just take a small microcosm of that and think, okay, in the old world, I, I've started to look at things as like old world, new world. Um, and right mm -hmm. now we're kind of in the messy area in between where we're, you know, transitioning to this new world underlined by or built on uh, scarce money. Um, in the old world, finance was so incredibly complex that you literally needed a, a part time job just to understand enough to be able to protect your savings from being from melting away. Uh, or you pay someone else to do it, which means that you also need to work and spend time earning money to pay that person. And just this whole notion that in that world, so much time and energy and thought is taken up to try and not have your money stolen. And in the new world, mm -hmm. you just save and sound money and that's it. Mm -hmm. And like, if you just mm -hmm. think of all of the mental energy that gets freed up for people and time mm -hmm. freed mm -hmm. up for people mm -hmm. to be able to take care of themselves and understand themselves and their own health more deeply, that to me is just a prime example of how a good technology based on sound first principles that is simple and elegant in its design frees up a giant sort of batch of human thought energy that is no longer no longer needs to be pissed away basically and wasted mm -hmm. um so yeah that article really resonated with me a lot maybe you're really excited that you yeah. know like there's so much yeah. doom and gloom around ai and you know all that stuff mm -hmm. all, all the tangents people go down but at the end of the day, the idea that AI can be something um, that actually off, like removes a whole lot of work that we're all having to do individually and lets robots do it so that we have more time for ourselves and to spend with each other and to re-embody ourselves into, you know, an understanding of health. Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah, oh, I'm so glad you think so. You know, I definitely think that's, you know, it, the way I look at the trajectory of human society, especially if you look back, right, to me, it seems as if, right, like you said, um, you know, that that more calm state is definitely more of our default and is the only state that kind of really uh, allows for the maintenance of proper health. And but if you if you look at human history, right, we're we're definitely using our minds more and more and more as we continue to construct this 
beautiful economic society that we've created, right? Um, but of course, that has come at a detriment to our health. And and that's where I think fundamentally the computer comes in. It's almost as if it was like a subconscious accidental invention. You know, Alan Turing just made this thing that he thought was really cool. But what it actually was is a, it's a thinking machine that can do the thinking things for us so that it can continue to maintain and, and grow this um, you know, ivory tower of society and civilization while allowing us to kind of take a step back and, and return to that more ancient way of being. And um, yeah, that really excites me as well. Yeah, it allows us to be more uh, so, human. And, and, it's like ironically, super high, yeah. te high tech technology actually brings us back to being more human or can. I, I think the exactly. last paragraph in that was like, exactly. you know, there's almost a, uh, a choice that we're all going to have, I think, based on awareness and the ability to really be honest with ourselves about, you know, are we using technology or is technology using us? Because I think the attention economy has so much money behind it that it really... You know, I just did a podcast with my partner yesterday and me and her were talking about dopamine and just the idea that it's it's you really have to have a lot of self-awareness and understanding to really acknowledge whether you're just on the dopamine treadmill um, because there's so so much access to hyper natural levels of dopamine with things that we have available, like literally the supercomputer in our pocket is like this beautiful thing, but also this very dangerous thing. And the only thing that delineates between those two is our awareness of how we're using it. Um, and you know how it actually works. But, um, I really like the other thing I read, uh, your other article too, that talked about, um, you know, the, the compound theory. Uh, I think it's, mm -hmm, I think you mm -hmm. call it, and I'd love for you to like, yeah. just the notion that each thought we have is like a drop in a pond and the ripples, um, around, well, I'll let you describe it, but just the notion that information yeah. overload has created so much noise in the pond of the mind that it's actually almost impossible to really garner creative insights if there's just so much chaos there. So can you explain a little bit about mm -hmm. that? Like, I'd like to hear through your words, sure. I find it a really beautiful metaphor for, the chaos of a busy mind uh, and the idea that a chaotic mind actually inhibits our ability to uh, deeply understand the world in a way that's productive for each of us. Yeah, well, that's, that's very kind of you to say. I'm happy to explain it. This is actually the, sort of the centerpiece of, of the book I'm writing. So um, I think to take a step back, I think it's helpful to think about sort of some perspectives of the way we think about consciousness. And I'm really a fan of um, Dr. Anil Seth. He has a great um, he, you know, he describes consciousness as something of a hallucination produced by what he calls like the predictive beast machine. And so to, to think about that, imagine why right, we have a brain and it's just locked inside this dark container of a skull, has no real access to the outside world or even the internal body, except for all the neural signals that are being sent um, to and from. And so, you know, but imagine, uh, you know, when I hit my finger against a table and I have a pain signal sent to my brain, it's not like there's a little envelope that says, you know, when it rises the brain, like, hey, I'm from the finger and things hurt. And then I go, oh, I understand things hurt, right? There's, it, it's just like a cascade flood of chemicals and the brain has to sort of create a prediction model with feedback and error correction to try to interpret all these signals and interpret what that means, and how we should react. And what we experience as our conscious experience is the sort of, you know, the, the, the manifestation of that model as our brain is generating a, a, an understanding of all of these signals, both from the external world, but also from the internal body. It's super true so when you actually think about it. It, it. it is. 
Uh, right, right, right. It's, it's, um, I mean, these things get so, I mean, I think they're beautiful to think about. And what's then interesting to think about in that sense is, well, imagine the brain as a pond with the raindrops falling upon it and the raindrops are the neural signals, right? When a raindrop hits a pond, ripples form, right? There's a, you know, the ripple has a size, a shape, a speed up, which is propagating a location on the pond. And all that is the information that the, the brain pond needs to interpret the information of the, the signal to generate the model of, you know, the accurate model of reality. But then imagine if, um, you know, a rainstorm is falling upon the pond, all those ripples are now colliding and causing interference and noise. Um, you know, so the pond already had a hard time trying to deduce reality by looking at ripples. And now all the ripples are colliding with one another, making it even harder for the pond brain to understand what those signals are even saying, which means that, and so the idea is that the more polluted the mind becomes with thoughts and thinking, the harder it is for the brain to create an accurate model of reality, which is, um, I think you can look at it from both two different ways, right? One is, of course, uh, that makes internal understand, like the process of the internal world difficult because, um, and that's what can lead to, let's say, I don't know, uh, autoimmune issues. I mean, it can lead to all types of dysregulation of the body because the brain is not accurately understanding what the body needs in order to maintain homeostatic balance and health. But then also it can relate to external things, which I think, um, you know, in, in the field of meditation and uh, Eastern religions or practices, you know, there's a there's the sense of how it changes your perception of life itself. And I think those are all related things of saying, well, when the, when the pond is really polluted, we can't really interpret reality well, but when, when we meet other human beings whose ponds really calm, they have a totally different perspective of things. And it's because their actual interpretation of reality is, is much different. And so, um, you know, again, that's what I think, you know, both I, I'm very much a big fan of, of respecting, you know, our ancient ancestors and our use of things like meditation practices or even psychedelic rituals to sort of uh, try to remember what it was like to be a human when the pond was calmer all the time by default. But then also recognizing that the computer itself is this machine that is going to like lift the burden from us so that we can have a calmer pond so that we can interpret things better and also maintain health better. Yeah, that was a great description. And it's almost like the computer <laughs> is this machine where we can divert 95% of the raindrops to go into there because it has an unlimited capacity to interpret uh, the raindrops, right? Like it has so much processing power and uh, really no biological implications. It's just a computing machine. Yes. And so if we diverted 95% of the raindrops there and allowed it to essentially synthesize a model of the world and then spit out you know, some sort of um, insight to us. And then we just have to worry about the 5% of the raindrops that are really truly important to us that we value yeah. understanding that reflect a more sort of global perspective of the world instead of getting too stuck into the weeds. Um, you know, that seems like a cool metaphor for how the computer can be used for good to offload a lot yeah. of the unnecessary processing that actually just creates confusion for us. Um, and it's almost like through truth and through an accurate global ledger, 
Bitcoin is a digital computer that actually makes sense of the world in terms of pricing. Like if 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 literally all of the data coming in in the world, supply, demand, production cost, da da da, everything, which is an overwhelming amount of information, gets plugged, gets rained down into this machine called Bitcoin, and all Bitcoin spits out is literally price. Um, that is the creative insight that allows us to basically preserve a lot of our mental and physical life force energy to be to spend it on being healthy and being present and actually enjoying the experience of being a human and allowing this machine to compute something that we have literally no capacity to compute individually anyway. Like even if we tried, we couldn't, you know, there's a reason no one can set prices because the prices are an artifact of this collective consciousness. Um, when you look at it from that perspective, which I never have before, it's like, that's a really fascinating way of, of like a cool lens to look at Bitcoin through because it is this, unstoppable truth machine that is just absorbing all data and then spitting out a price which is like a true cost of capital which i think eventually will be the unit of account that we use not there yet but on the way i think yeah totally totally and i've even come to start to appreciate how you can look at it uh, in, in even deeper way so you know if you think about uh, the beginning of this story when human beings started to use, sort started to develop a sort of a, you know, an abstract thinking symbolic, symbolic creation mind, right? To be able to use symbols to both form language to communicate with one another, but also have like these tokens that we use to do exchanges and, you know, form trust and previously untrustworthy parties. But that, that is what, you know, it's fascinating, you know, what's interesting about the, the Bitcoin community is that, you know, again, when I was in high school, I was reading all kinds of Austrian economic literature and those they love to like talk about the origins of money and, and all those type of things. And it seems as if now that the Bitcoin community is looking into these subjects again, even more rich research and, and ideas are coming up about how all these things began. And something that seems to be uh, showing evidence for is that, you know, this form of using some sort of symbolic representation for exchange is incredibly old, perhaps even as old or relatively as old as the formation of language and thought themselves. Like, you know, there's something like, a, you know, writing was actually first used to record ledgers, not actually language. I was literally going to say that. I remember language. Antonopoulos saying yeah. that. He's like, he's like, if money may be older than writing, because the first writing we've ever known of was a ledger. It may have existed before that, but like it's almost like writing was created as a tool to, to record ledgers. Right. And then it just happened to be also good for language and speech as well. Right. Like it just it's all and, and, and to me, it makes me realize that they're all really. Um, they're, they're different tools for the same thing, which is human beings using our logic and symbolic thinking to generate cohesion amongst one another. Right. It. it um, uh, I'm trying to think of, there's a word, there's supposed to be like, there's this like biological limit of how many human beings within a tribe can interact Dunbar's with one another. Until, th thank you, Dunbar. Yep, yep, yep. Thank you very much. Right. And so Dunbar's number, right, is sort of overcome by all these different things, such as, um, you know, language and money and all these things. And again, they're awesome as the system becomes more and more and more complicated, it's putting an incredible burden on us, right? And so you imagine what the computer's doing. It does all those things, right? It does money, it does language, it does problem solving, right? It does communication. Like it, it does all the things that our symbolic mind created in order to create cohesion. Then now just over time has become such a burden that we're like, well, why don't we just like 
displace all this burden onto the machine so it can do it for us so that we can have the best of both worlds. And so, you know, to me, Bitcoin even becomes more than just just a money thing. It really becomes this, you know, it's like a computer that now has evolved to interact with real world energy, right? It, it's it's more than just abstract code now, like the computer is tied to the earth and it's, you know, uh, anchored by real world energy to provide this just incredible relief um, so that we can, you know, uh, I have this like analogy, like we're building this ivory tower, but we're, we're getting sick inside of it because of the mechanism that which we have to use to build it. And now the computer can continue to build the ivory tower for us so we can just step outside, enjoy the view and, you know, and get the best of both worlds. Beautiful. And yeah, I agree. It's like our abstract thinking is what allowed us to blow through Dunbar's number and actually scale human civilizations mm -hmm. way beyond that number of 150. But, you know, I know you read or you wrote um, something about, it'll come to me, how Bitcoin solves a Neolithic problem, I think was an article you wrote. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, I read Jason Lowry's book, Soft War, and just the notion mm -hmm. that our abstract thinking allowed us to scale beyond Dunbar, but the abstractness of our thinking, how, how, how dislocated our thinking has become and our structures have become from base reality has actually made mm -hmm. them extremely fragile and um, apt to corruption, basically. And it's mm -hmm. almost like Bitcoin reinstates the tether to base reality by connecting mm -hmm. physical power and resources to the power system that we use to sort of govern control over resources. And it's, mm -hmm. um, and it does mm -hmm. so in a peaceful way, right? Like it's like the ultimate transcendence right. beyond, right. we respect the laws of nature in that it's all still based on Watts, but we actually move beyond violence because it's actually right. an incentive system designed to incentivize peace um, instead of violence, right? Like the wolf, it's like, we no longer have to defend our property with violence because now we have encryption. And it's, it's right. some, right. it gets super squirrely when you really go deep down the rabbit hole and you think of these concepts that can be extremely abstract, but it really is, you know, when someone says, what the heck is Bitcoin? It's like, I, I almost like <laughs> get caught like a deer in headlights. Now I'm like, oh shit, which like, how do I, and my, my, and this kind of relates to Bitcoin consulting too, right? Because I think the reality is most of the world, um, their notion, everyone thinks they understand Bitcoin. Right. And mm -hmm. most people understanding as some understand it as some it, they misunderstand it, actually. They don't even understand it. And so the first line of helping someone understand Bitcoin is actually to try and understand what's your current understanding of Bitcoin? Because mm -hmm. without saying it, it's like it's probably wrong, or it's probably a very mm -hmm. limited fraction of what Bitcoin actually is. And someone's sort of base of knowledge actually determines their capacity to understand Bitcoin beyond just the monetary element. So it's kind of like we have to determine what do you actually understand about the world? What pain points do you have that are bringing you to Bitcoin? What do you think Bitcoin is right now? And then you can sort of like start to create a path through this, you know, messy swamp um, to kind of guide them down the path of actually understanding truth about Bitcoin. And yeah, yeah it really is such a it's just such a crazy thing. It really is. And yeah, it's like, this is, this is why it's such a treat to talk to people who actually can relate to the craziness of what Bitcoin is and have like a, a layered understanding of, you know, 
socioeconomic systems, money, energy, not like super deep, but deep enough to actually understand that there are implications of all these pillars of civilization that are baked into the Bitcoin protocol, that the Bitcoin protocol is going to unequivocally nudge all these other systems to coalesce into this really fun game that's fair and accessible to all of humanity. And that's a that's a that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it, it certainly is, you know, and and the way I think about it, too, is, you know, it, it seems to me that human beings, we, we have a really hard time talking about things that are very, very, very old. Right. I mean, you could think of so many different subjects that are just they're so ancient that it, it becomes very difficult for us to even discuss them just because they seem so. I mean, sometimes they become so ineffable, right? Like it becomes so hard to even use language to discuss some things that are part of our, you know, history before we had language, right? And so it, it's kind of like that when this when this incredible invention occurs that seems to be just a solution to something, you know, thousands of thousands of thousands of years ago, it can be hard to just sit down with someone and say, hey, well, hey you know, uh, you know, can you try to understand this? You know, we're all doing our best to understand something like this, you know? Yeah. And it is why I think when I try to educate people about Bitcoin and try to help them understand what it is, and it, it is sort of, um, you know, I appreciate the the very beginning. I mean, I, I, I also um, got a lot from Jason Lowry's book. And I really appreciate in the beginning how he, he kind of makes this statement of going, you know, um, there may have been a, an issue of giving Bitcoin the name Bitcoin because it kind of puts it inside this bubble of what it is where, you know, most people, when they make an invention, it's sort of an accident. They don't really know what they've actually created, right? There's like the intended use case. And then there's like what it actually is, you know, or what it actually yeah. will do. And, you know, sometimes I think the same thing about Alan Turing, right? Like Alan Turing goes, oh, I'm making a thinking machine, right? The primary function of this machine is to think, whereas, you know, the primary function of a refrigerator is to, to refrigerate, right? And so, but I don't think he, had any idea about how profound that would be in, you know, my interpretation of it, like lifting that burden off of our shoulders. Right. And so it's the same with Bitcoin in the way of saying, well, so when I talk, when I try to educate people, I go, well, you know, forget all the, if, you know, let's say they're a little more like hesitant about it. Right. They have all their kind of like political leanings, like, Oh, I heard it's supposed to be money. There's no way it's going to be money kind of thing. Right. It's like, well, let's just like take a step back and think about, you know, how this is simply just a, really profound innovation in computer science. And, 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 and I know you know that computers are incredibly important. I mean, computers have changed everything about our life. And this is just an incredible next step. And here are all the things that it's going to be able to do because of the innovation that it caused. And, and I think that, that that connects with people in a different way because everyone can relate to, oh yeah, the computer's definitely like a profound thing. I mean, we're all talking about computers all the time, right? And so it's just, oh, but this is just another arm of the computer and it's just a total evolution of the computer. And here, let's talk about why that's so important and how that's so you know, fundamental to human beings and our society and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I definitely don't think Satoshi was a marketing whiz. I think he was probably just a brilliant <laughs> engineer. And sometimes when yeah. the brilliant engineer that, you know, creates something unexpectedly and it actually works, you know, the, the first name typically always sticks. And, you know, yeah, I think the world will learn to understand Bitcoin for what it is beyond the branding name. 
um, eventually, mm-hmm. but it certainly creates a bigger obstacle because people have this preconceived notion uh, of a coin, you know, like even just getting beyond the coin part of it is tough for people. But I think with enough pain, you know, pain to me in health and with money, change is hard, especially if it's something so fundamental uh, to our lives that we've never actually questioned before. It's like the challenge of questioning something that we've chosen not to question basically forever uh, is really, really high because it requires either a shitload of curiosity or a shitload of pain. And those are the two, I think those are the only two forces that actually nudge people um, to make radical changes in their thinking and the way they live. And so as you know, the curious people are the people who have all the stats right now, right? Who looked into this because they had an interest or they had a curiosity or they had a mind that was, had the bandwidth to be able to kind of investigate this. Um, but I think most people will actually learn about Bitcoin through pain, right? Like if you're in Argentina, you probably learn about Bitcoin through pain. If you're, you know, living amongst uh, hyperinflation, then even if you're not curious, you know, the pain will nudge you towards understanding this thing that might seem very abstract, but maybe you only learn a tiny sliver about it that actually relates to the problem that you're experiencing. Um, and oftentimes I, I really like the approach of bringing it back to Bitcoin being a computer science innovation. And I often kind of liken it to the internet and let people know that, you know, a question I like to ask people is like, you know, do you know when the internet uh, was first created? And then do you remember your first personal interaction with the internet? And the time span between those two for a lot of people is very long, like 20 plus years for a lot of people. And just reminding them that like, this is like the internet. Bitcoin is like the internet. It's a, it's an innovation that might even be more important than the the internet because transferring value, you know, is one of the most important communications that we want to transmit across the world. And just this idea that we're only 14 years in. Um, and if the average person took 20 years to adopt the internet, it's not a surprise that most people don't know what Bitcoin is. They might've heard of Bitcoin. Um, but I often, what I, what I've recently tried to do is just bring it back to money. Like I've tried to have a Bitcoin conversation without even saying the word Bitcoin and asking people just a bunch of questions about why is an Apple not as good of a form of money as a piece of gold and just getting them to really think, cause these aren't questions that people typically ask themselves, but essentially helping them understand properties of money uh, as a way for them to be able to evaluate different monies that exist and which one they choose to use that serves them best. You know, that's almost like, the moment it's trying to get them to acknowledge the moment that like everything they think about money might be based on just strictly trusting their government, that their government is handling yeah. money well. And it's like that old saying yeah. where there's two young fish and an old fish and the old fish says, how's the water boys? And the, the fish are like, well, what's water? Like they've just, they right. live in water. Right. They don't even know what water is because they're right. just in it. Right. And so this notion that we use, you know, I live in Canada, we use Canadian dollars. Why would we have any reason to question it? Um, until you actually help people start to go down the path of inquiry of actually understanding money from first principles. Uh, it's kind of like that, that fish and water moment where, you know, as soon as they start to get an inclination that like, yeah, that's weird. Why isn't Apple not as good of a form of money as gold and kind of nudge them towards guessing, but also eventually finding out the properties of money. And then literally straight up asking them like, what form of money do you use? What form of money do you save in? And why do you save in that form of money? And is it for any reason other than that's the form of money I have available in my country? Um, and yeah, because I think the pain being experienced from inflation is just increasing and increasing. 
And that, to me, yeah. it's a matter of trying to nudge people's understanding towards the true source of inflation instead of just uh, hearing something like, oh, Putin's causing inflation to go up or something. Like the amount of times I've heard that is actually incredible. And I have compassion for those people because when you actually think of what's on the news, it's like, it's no wonder they think that. That's what they're being fed all the time. Um, so, yeah. you know, what, in terms of consulting, what does consulting mean mm -hmm. to you and why is Bitcoin consulting something of interest for you in terms of work? Yeah, so um, I mean, I'm uh, I've always leaned towards education in my life. You know, I really enjoy just, you know, I enjoy learning. And then I, of course, I enjoy kind of trying to give my knowledge to others to try to help everyone. You know, I'm a very um, I, that's just the way I think about things. And, and I want to be able to share what I have learned. Um, I guess that comes to why I write a book too, you know, it's just all the sort of the same thing. And, you know, what Bitcoin consultant really means to me is, is first what we've been talking about, sort of just educating someone on, you know, hey, there's there's this really significant thing that's happened and I want you to know about it, right? But but actually I think it becomes even more about, um, uh, you know, there's this analogy I like to give where it's like, you know, imagine I walked up to you maybe thousands of years ago and I said, hey, you know, I know our money's really confusing right now, but tomorrow everyone's going to be using gold for money, right? You know, our first instinct is going to be, well, I, I want, I should go then to a gold store and just buy as much gold as I possibly can. But then imagine, you know, you're thousands of years ago, you got your horse and your wagon and you go to the gold store, you buy just this mountain of gold and you start, you know, trekking all the way back to your farm home, you know, what's going to happen? You know, you're going to, some bandits are going to see you on the side of the road and they're going to rob your gold and take it away from you. Right. And so what I also think is incredibly important, which I try to focus on in my practice is that, you know, understanding Bitcoin is just to get you interested in it. But what's, what's really, what you really have to learn is you have to learn about, you know, how do you keep that mountain of gold safe? Right. I mean, you first buy just a small coin and then you put it inside your mattress and then you maybe get enough coins and then you buy like a metal box and then you put it all in a metal box and then you build a castle and you get guards around. Like, you know, like you as you accumulate that gold, you learn how to create a better defense for that, you know, money. And I think the most important thing to really educate people on, which I'm very passionate about doing, because, of course, again, it's something that I'm passionate about doing for myself I and mean, as I get involved in this i just want to learn the best ways of self-custody the most secure ways of self-custody the most you know foolproof ways of self-custody and that's a just an incredible journey all of itself and it's so and it can become so sophisticated and eventually you get so sophisticated there's actually just different avenues that each one's with you know different pros and cons and those pros and cons will be different for different kind of people and so you know to me the most important thing to educate people on is you know there's this thing and you know um it's 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 just like gold in the way that you have it in your own hand and you have to find a way to protect it. And, and I want to educate you on the most state of the art technology available at the moment for you to do that. And, and that's what I'm most passionate about. And I think is is one of the most important things to educate people on, right? Just how do you keep that mountain of gold safe um, so that we can all have our own, you know? So yeah. and I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are, are for yourself. Well, I agree with everything you said and, you know, the more I narrow my focus into just health and Bitcoin, the more I'm seeing mm -hmm. all these parallel interlinking elements um, and similarities between them both. And I think one of the biggest ones is that they're both uh, journeys of education fundamentally, right? Health is about, mm -hmm. to me, health is about learning how to take better care of myself. And Bitcoin is about having, you know, 
gaining a deeper understanding of this technology so that I can understand how to better convey it to others and give them the opportunity that Bitcoin's given me to just, you know, radically upgrade my life and reduce the burden of all the noise and just allow me to focus on what actually matters. Um, and just like health, I think health often gets mislabeled, at least in my experience, as a destination that people want to get to. So I want to be healthy. Even that verbiage is like, I want to get to the state of health. Um, mm -hmm. And for some people, it's a look. For some people, it's how they want to feel, whatever it might be. Um, but to me, health is just a process and it actually never ends. Mm -hmm. It's like this ongoing process. And the the act of being healthy is actually the act of engaging with the, con the ongoing lifelong process of health, of making better decisions, of learning how to better take care of myself. And I think I look at self-custody in a very, very similar way, knowing that relative to everything else, Bitcoin is going to get more scarce as time goes on. And the more scarce it becomes relative to everything else, the higher the exchange rate is in terms of the amount of everything else you need to use to buy a Bitcoin. And so your Bitcoin gets more valuable as time goes on. Um, and so this notion of self-custody no longer becomes a destination thing where it's like, I want to have my multi-sig in place mm -hmm. with my keys in these places. It's like, okay, well, what if your Bitcoin is now worth 100 times what it was before? Do you still feel mm -hmm. comfortable that that, and for me, it's like, I've gone through these, right. it's like punctuated equilibrium where it's like, okay, I'm going to try and learn about self-custody so I can put in place a strategy that will hold true if my Bitcoin's worth five times what it's worth today. Great. Right. By the time that gets there, I have to reinvent it again. And so it's this constant sort of um, practice, actually, just like a health practice, this practice of constantly yeah. understanding the new. And the other thing, too, is the technologies that are available are just constantly evolving, right? The idea that multi-sig used to be this highly technical thing. And now there's literally apps that will handle, that will abstract away a lot of the complexity and allow you to, in a very intuitive, actually simple, elegant way, put in place a multi-sig custody strategy without much tech understanding. And so, you know, as the tools get better, I want to be able to explain the new tools to people that I'm talking to. But I also want to understand, it's like the gold standard self-custody strategy, there's no, there's actually no solution. It's just different trade-offs. And the trade-offs will vary based on your life circumstances and yeah, the yeah, wealth that you've accumulated. And so, yeah, I mean, one thing I'm really excited with with the Bitcoin Consulting Network is just to establish sort of like best practices, right? Like if we meet up once a month and we share sort of what we're learning and all the new stuff that's coming out, we can kind of have this moving goalpost set of best practices where it's like, uh, and, and it's tricky, right? Because there's so many different individuals with so many different circumstances that are going to be yeah. looking to self-custody. And so there's like an infinite amount of different strategies to take based on are you one person do you have a family are you a business are you a corporation like there's just so many variables but i think uh i love and just diving into how do we actually have productive conversations to to better understand how to make wise choices in terms of the trade-offs and what actually are the trade-offs right if we know the trade-offs yeah. then we know how to kind of you know put our own context on top of this base layer of best practices and fundamental trade-offs so I like the challenge of it, frankly, and I just get so excited. I see so much pain in the world and I see Bitcoin as this like beautiful solution that's hiding in plain sight. And I want to be ready in terms of my understanding. Um, number one, if the price of Bitcoin shoots through the roof, I want to feel good about my self-custody strategy so that I'm not worried about that. And so that I can actually make right. use of every opportunity that comes my way with people who are asking like, okay, I'm ready to buy Bitcoin. I actually bought some. How do I keep it safe? Because like you said, 
you can have all the gold in the world, but if someone just wrench tax you because you're not prepared to secure it, um, right. then that's a problem. And I think the equivalent right. of building your castle is actually done with understanding, not bricks and mortar, which is kind of cool yeah. because you yeah. can build a castle in your home with a computer now, right. which is like a really cool thing. Right. Totally. It totally is. It totally is. You know, I, I um, we, we sort of um, skimmed past in the beginning, but I'm really curious to know your background and how you relate Bitcoin health and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, to keep it short, I'm formally trained as a physical therapist. So I was a physio here in Canada, ran a physio practice, um, realized early on that like feet were, no one talked about feet ever. And everyone, once I started assessing people barefoot in the clinic, regardless of what they came to see me for, I realized like, why does everyone have fucked up feet? Like, why is everyone's feet destroyed and dysfunctional? And like, why aren't people talking about this? Um, I quickly realized that just people wear shoes that fundamentally oppose natural foot health. And it was like this, it was kind of like a Bitcoin moment for me early on, because I was like, wow, I, I feel like I know the secret. No one's talking about it. Uh, and actually the most productive way to help people is to put information out into the world so they can make better choices for themselves, right? Like I can see one patient per hour in the clinic, 10 patients a day max, if I use all my energy that day. But if I put a post out on Instagram, a thousand people might see it in a second. And if that allows them to take better care of their feet, I can reach way more people through the internet than I can through in-person treatment and my energy scales. Um, to a much higher multiplier if I use the internet to spread knowledge to help people care for themselves instead of me pretending to be the person they need to come see to be fixed. So I just kind of followed that path, put education out there, ended up building a, a health network focused on feet called the Foot Collective, which started off just as education. Then I gave seminars, traveled, uh, started selling natural footwear because I realized you can help people understand what shoes to buy, but if they can't buy those shoes, it's still a big friction point. So um yeah, was in that world and then got to a point where, you know, I was starting to look beyond feet and just that health more broadly. It's like, how can we provide this growing network that was, you know, at 300,000 people on Instagram? How can we provide them with better information, not just about like using feet as the gateway for them wanting to understand health at a deeper level and take care of themselves, but also provide a pipeline where it's like, okay, well, when they're ready to learn about mental health, when they're ready to learn about food and sleep, can we really simplify and distill these pillars of health into really simple principles, heuristics that allow people to be empowered to actually make changes? Because it's all well and good to learn about a topic, but the actual hard part is not learning about it. It's actually applying it successfully in your life. And the simpler it is, and the, the more people can actually grasp these fundamental truths, like with food, it's like, just eat real food. You know, you can argue about yes. eating vegetables or meat all day. That's yeah, fine. I, but if yeah. you really zoom out, it's like the commonality they both have is real food. Turns out if you eat real food, you're going to be pretty right. good. Um, yeah. And the deeper I started looking to health as a whole, I really started to kind of have this framework in my brain of like, okay, you know, everything, when I started looking to money more, I was like, everything's downstream of money right? Like you have, you have this layer cake and superficially you have like the health of the environment and the health of humans. So health is like superficial yeah. layer yeah. under that. You have education because education is actually what determines our understanding of the natural world and the understanding of health. So, so health is downstream of education. Education is downstream of politics because the politicians for some reason are the ones who determine what we learn in school and under mm -hmm. politics is money. And if you have corrupt yeah. money, 
you've corrupted the full stack. And health is just a far down derivative, downstream derivative of broken money. And so I kind of realized like, I'm spending all this time and energy trying to solve the health problem, which is actually unsolvable within the world of unsound money. And so then I, that was like the last straw where I was like, oh, I finally have permission to actually just focus full time on Bitcoin because it is actually the root cause of everything I'm trying to work on, which still remains important. And there's awesome people on, on the Foot Collective team yeah. that are working on that. But like, I need to work on the money because that's actually what lights me up and what I'm most excited about and what I think has the largest multiplier effect on the full stack of all those problems. Um, so that's how I came to Bitcoin. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, I, I, I totally resonate with that. You know, I mean, something I always remember thinking about was that, you know, um, you know, the whole, you know, printing money to stimulate the economy idea, the Keynesian economic framework kind of is driven by this idea that like, oh, when you print money, you stimulate the economy because it forces people to spend now and not save later, right? Or, you know, not save for later, but, you know, just spend and consume and consume. Like, oh, we, we always sit around and like, oh, we just don't like the consumeristic mindset. We don't like what it does to our minds. We don't like this like need, 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 greed, greed, greed type thing. And, you know, and everyone few step back and go well wait a minute but that's that's almost like a choice of the money system we created to have that you know so when i think about health of course i sort of um you know i mean, i love thinking about those other things like you know feet's actually very interesting i i love to learn more about that but you know food is a great example right it's like food is just so food is fundamental right the the gut the gut brain axis is so intensely important and thinking about food is is so profound but also sometimes when you think about it, it is kind of obvious like ah oh, just eat real food like eat food that we ate when we were outside all the time exactly. you know and um but you know when i think about health too, i also think about you know the mind a lot and our relationship with the mind and, and sort of um you know whether you're following the mind or whether you're not following the mind right and and consumerism just drives us to follow the mind I mean, you know, if you have money and you're economically incentivized to spend it, then you're like, well, I have an impulse to buy something. Oh, I should buy it. You know, I have an impulse to buy this. So I should buy it. Right. Like there's a reason why, you know, monks shave their head and get rid of all possessions. Right. Because that is the way that you can cultivate a not following the mind type relationship with your mind. And it's just so you do start to realize that money is at the root of so much behavior that. Uh, thinking about the extent at which sound money would solve, you know, so many other things that we human beings just, you know, mope and groan about and really can't stand about our society and ourselves um, can be alleviated through that solution is just, um, well, again, it just excites me a lot. You know, like I just think that, you know, it, there's something that I think is very, you know, you meet a lot of people who are interested in Bitcoin and you notice there's this very, characteristic um theme of hope and everyone just has such positive outlook on what's happening you know whereas you go outside everywhere else a lot of people are very you know not hopeful about the world and um you know going back to sort of you know to, to be able to be a bitcoin consultant and, and educate people on this to to just bring a little hope is also just profoundly rewarding i agree and it's almost like you know, in the world of health and money, actually, the old world is you go see a quote unquote expert for your health problem and your health is their responsibility. Um, and they're there to fix you. And in the old world of money, you go see the financial expert and their job is to tell you what to do with your money so that it doesn't melt away. And 
kind of this real, realization I had recently was like, well, what if the skill set that these legacy experts have actually no longer provide any value and are actually worse than um, worse than useless, literally, because they guide you down the wrong path in this new world is strictly underlined by personal responsibility, where it goes from health is the responsibility of this expert to health is my responsibility. And actually, yeah. the more I listen to the legacy experts, the more misguided I'm going to be. Um, and the yeah. more likely I am to veer off the optimal path, which is just me learning how to take better care of myself and actually trying things each day and being mindful enough to actually think about, well, how do I feel when I do this? How does my body feel? What's my capacity? Um, and the same thing in money is like, you no longer have to go see the legacy experts because all of their wisdom, which actually was great in the fiat world, was helpful to help yeah. you protect your wealth from being melted away at an exponential rate. Right. That none of that ability, none of that wisdom and knowledge that was gained within that old world, it literally just doesn't apply in the new world anymore. Because all you need to do yeah. is take responsibility for understanding money and save your time and sound money. That's it. Right. Um, right. And so it's almost like we're at this inflection point where, you know, Bitcoin makes financial advisors redundant now. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge, but it does open a new opportunity for a new sort of class of educators, um, mm -hmm. which help people gain a deeper sense of literacy with money and to understand how to truly um, acquire and steward Bitcoin, the Bitcoin way like that is a there's a big role there. And same thing in health, right? I think this whole notion of the degreed pedigree professional in the world of medicine or in these silos can actually be replaced by just a health guide, which is someone who has a generalist understanding of health, and then probably an individual specialty that sets them apart and makes them more effective at that particular spot area of health. And I think that's something I had been thinking of for a long time in the realm of health, but it actually ports over well to Bitcoin consulting and this notion that, you know, as a network of consultants who are all trying to learn from each other, get better together and refer to each other. I think there's actually a lot of strength in each of us being a Bitcoin generalist, because, you know, if we live in alignment with Bitcoin, we're all going to custody our own keys, right? We're all going to manage our own private keys. And so you have to have a certain amount of generous generalist literacy in key management in order to actually live life as a Bitcoiner. But I think there's a lot of value in each of us having different specialties, subset specialties, where we don't have to know everything deeply. We just have to, you know, we, we have the bandwidth to focus deeply in our area of expertise and then have a network of people who have their own area of expertise where we can send someone to that person if someone needs help in that certain subset area. And I think that that's kind of the inspiration of Finney 21 is just putting together a team of health and Bitcoin consultants, where we have all, we're all generalists in health and Bitcoin, and we all have our individual specialty within those two areas. So my specialty yeah. in health yeah. is musculoskeletal health from the physio background. And my specialty in Bitcoin, which I'm sort of leaning into and having a lot more interest in, is uh, Bitcoin backed loans. It's like, how do we help people understand how to never sell their Bitcoin by being able to mm -hmm. responsibly and safely um, use this new form of pristine collateral that has actually never existed before mm -hmm. and is a species all in and of its own. How do we use that um, to essentially allow us liquidity uh, in capital, in fiat capital, if we need it for expenses without ever selling our Bitcoin? And so, you know, if, mm -hmm. if there was, um, I, would, I also find it very interesting that you're, you straddle the world of health and Bitcoin, because I think mm -hmm. at the end mm -hmm. of the day, the people who are going to be helping 
understand Bitcoin and custody it and really like poured over their time into this new monetary tool, they're going to need to understand health so that they can actually take advantage of the purchasing power they will eventually have. And so I think yeah. not only on the team will there be people to help clients improve their health and better understand it, but actually the whole team of consultants together yeah. can be way healthier together by just sharing cross-pollinating knowledge uh, and then referring to each other. So within, I mean, I assume within health, your specialty would be mindfulness or the mind. Yeah, and then yeah, if you did yeah. need to pick one subspecialty, like pretty narrowly defined specialty in Bitcoin, um, it can be a certain kind of client. It can be a certain um, sort of element of Bitcoin as, as narrowly defined as you want. What off the top of your head, what, what do you think that would be? Yeah, you know, I think right now it's starting to, uh, to veer towards, um, you know, helping people with their, you know, finding the right self-custody solution for them, you know, and everyone's got their own lifestyle and everyone's got their own sort of, especially technological aptitude, right? I mean, you yeah. know, I think um, most of the people I help aren't going to be, you know, people my age who just know how to handle the computer really well. It's the people who want to get involved, but computers are a little harder. And so it's just, you know, you know, finding the right solution for them, helping them understand this technology to understand what they're really handling and, you know, and educating people on that. And so I, I definitely think, um, you know, the, custody solutions are, are, are becoming where, you know, my practice is specializing. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's such an important area. And I think something I've been thinking of lately too, is the notion of, yes, we must meet people where they are, but there also must be this element of making sure they know the next step, because if you're where, you know, you don't want to stay where you are. The ideal is, you know, and I think this fits in line with this notion that where your money goes, your mind follows. If you have the more, mm -hmm. at least in my experience and the people I've worked with informally with consulting stuff before doing it more formally, it's like the more they buy, the more they want to learn, the more they then want to buy, the more they then want to learn to a point where they're like, I don't really do want, want to do much else with my time other than take care of myself and learn right. about Bitcoin, because <laughs> that's right. literally the most important thing that's stealing all of my mental bandwidth for a good reason. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's like meet them where they are, but also help them be able to navigate the next, you know, one, two, three, four, five steps so that they know, uh, like the Affinity 21 intake form, one of the questions is, are you willing to put an hour a week into studying Bitcoin and understanding it at a deeper level? And frankly, I don't really have much interest in working with people who don't want to allocate at least one hour of their time to learning about it. And then my role is just give them, you know, drip feed resources that reflect their current level of understanding and sort of the next step they want, the next logical step they would want to take in terms of deepening their understanding. Um, and it's, it's more about curating resources for people to learn from than it is about telling them what to think. And I think that's a really important element of being sort of like a, you know, not the person telling people what to do being the person to ask enough questions to understand where they are and then be able to give them the next step to take um, so that you're not positioning yourself as the hero or the knower, the expert, you're positioning yourself as the guide to help people navigate the journey themselves, knowing that only they yeah. can take it. So yeah, I think self-custody is such yeah. a fascinating area. And even under that, you have, you know, hardware, you have software, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have all the trade-offs with multi-sig and all the different multi-sig sort of strategies. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's just such a, such a big silo of understanding when you really, if you really want to help with self-custody strategy with the full stack spectrum of people that come to you, like, you know, Jim, the plumber, um, Francis, the, 
you know, the head of household who has a million dollar net worth for his family, the trust fund and like Honda, like, how do you help that full stack of people where they come up to you and are like, we want to self custody your Bitcoin. What do we do? It's like, Oh boy. Okay. But these are the questions to start with. And so it's, it's really a beautiful, um, exercise of just having an incessant curiosity to understand the right questions to ask and then what to look into to be able to, you know, effectively give answers to those questions to those people. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, following your point too, it's, I think it's, it's just that classic, you know, you don't give someone a fish, you teach them how to fish. Right. And I think that's true for both Bitcoin and health, right? Like we, you don't walk in there like, well, I have the answers for you here. Take my answers. You know, it's just like, well, this is a thing where you, you need to realize that your either, you know, your Bitcoin security or the health of your body is your journey. And like, like you said earlier, like it's your practice. And I just want to just inform you of what that practice will involve. And I, you know, I'm here to help you with your practice, but, but it is your practice. You know, I'm not going to just like give you the pill that cures it. And I'm not going to give you the answer that keeps it safe. Right. Like it is, it's, it's your journey. And, and we're just kind of there to, set them on the path, you know? Yeah. To make sure their energy gets put to good use. Right. I think yeah, it's almost a double-edged sword where some of my most potent lessons have come from veering off the path and getting lost and experiencing pain. And that was a good lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, I think as a consultant or a health guide, it's like, we probably can't give a whole lot of certain answers, but what we can do mm-hmm. is tell people with certainty shit that they shouldn't do. Right. Like to say mm-hmm. you shouldn't put your <laughs> Bitcoin on Coinbase and leave it there. Like I could say that right. with a lot of certainty where it's like, I really right. believe that's something you shouldn't do. So it's almost like right. I almost think of uh, guiding people with their health sometimes as um, there's like a big peak, a big mountain. And the people who mm-hmm. are most who have taken that journey and gotten to the peak and who take it frequently and spend a lot of time on the trail are most well versed to guide newcomers on where they should not go and the paths that might be, you know, more, um, more tailored to their ability, right? You ask them a few questions like, do you want something intense or do you, you know, do you want to, do you want to go at this right now? Or do you want to do it in chunks? Like, you know, okay, that's what you want. Well, take this path. That's a green circle. That's probably the one that's best for you. And just take your time, be patient, don't rush it. Um, and I think that, there's an old saying that I heard uh, Francois Bourgeois say, and she's big in the world of psychedelics. She said, you can only take someone as far as you've gone. And I think this whole idea that the, really the role of a consultant is to always be pushing where they're at and have the deepest desire to understand as many variables as they can. So that they then have sort of the lessons and the understanding that they can then share with the right person that they encounter. And yeah, yeah, I really think this whole notion of leading by example and, um, you know, having taken a path before you advise someone else on taking the path is a really important element of just like the ethos of being a Bitcoin consultant with integrity. Cause we know there's going to be a lot of scammers that try and pretend to be Bitcoin mm-hmm. consultants. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. I think the importance of the Bitcoin consulting network is to just, you know, this is proof of work, us having a conversation, people being able to listen to this after the fact and hear our stories and hear our perspective and what we're interested in and the, and the work that we've done or are doing. I think this is all part of the notion of transparency where someone can do their own research to evaluate a human before they actually like want to choose to work with them and choose to trust them yeah. with um, helping them sort of 
usher their energy in the right direction and you know stopping them get lo- getting lost or stopping them from falling off a cliff because they didn't know there was a cliff there right like don't go to the coinbase cliff don't go to these cliffs go in this area and i can give you a, and i think really it's almost like the work of a consultant and giving people the right resources for that person at the place they're at is almost like you're giving them like a, a tiny little shard of a, of a map of the mountain. It's like, this is all you need to know right now. Just get through this part. When you're there, give me a call. I'll text you the next part of the map. And I, I think that's kind of how I envision Bitcoin consulting where you can't tell them to get to, it's like the peak is there, go. It's like full right. self-custody, multi-sig, geographically distributed seeds, go. It's like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. It's like, how about you just learn right. about money first? Let's start there. And then when you're when you're good there and when you're ready to buy and when you're ready to get a hardware wallet, like I will give you the best information I have based on this research. And you know, we'll get you there together. I'm on your team, but I can't do it for you. And I think that's yeah, that's exciting to me. Yeah, totally. You know, and I would even add something. I think not only should a Bitcoin consultant have integrity, but I also think another really important um thing is humility, right? I mean, if if we can only take them as far as we've gone and, and we're trying to teach them like, hey, this is more of a, a journey, not a destination. then we all have to be humble with ourselves to realize that's the same for ourselves. I mean, you know, the, the level of understanding that I have today is going to be nothing compared to the level of understanding I will have in a year and then a year after that. And it's like that that journey for the self is also really important. You know, I mean, we have to always be striving to become you know, even deeper in understanding and, and, and fixing all the things that we don't have right so that we can bring that to the table where we educate others. You know, I mean, we're all on the same journey in life, you know, and so to um, be humble in that way, of, you know, realizing that it's even if you're educating someone, you're still in you're still a student as well. You know, and that, yeah. and that never really changed. I agree. The mentality of always being a student and actually never you know, the, the ephemeral peak of Bitcoin is actually never achievable. Cause by the time you get there, you see there's yeah. like six other peaks. You're like, okay, it's time to go down yeah. another path. And yeah, but with that said, I want to be around people who have gone really far so I can just learn from them. And, you know, if they did a whole yeah. trek and took like 50 hours to learn something and they come back and they're like, Hey, it turns out like, this is the essence of what I learned. Do your own research if you want, but just to let you know, here's the cheat code. Like I want to be around those people so that yeah. <laughs> I can number one, refer people who have a need that I can't fill to the person who's most qualified to do it. Um, but also just, you know, be able to absorb wisdom instead of having to, you know, go through the process of data, knowledge, insight, wisdom, myself in every single realm, because it's just not possible. So, um, amazing. How do people find you? If someone's watching this, how do people find you? How do people connect with Sydney or find the work you've done? And then, uh, I'd love to do another one of these calls in like a couple months or something like that and, uh, see where we're at. Yeah, that, that sounds good to me as well. Uh, you know, my website is brightmindsconsulting.io. You can email me at sydney at brightmindsconsulting.io. Uh, my social handles are at brightmindsco. And um, yeah. Cool. Thanks for the great chat. To everyone listening, uh, thanks for it's being been a here. Pleasure. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Until next time. Looking forward to it. Likewise.